Welcome to May I, the weekly podcast from the Academy for Hospitality Arts. I am Noah Parks, your humble host and veteran of the hospitality industry. Each week, this podcast is our chance to discuss all things hospitality with industry professionals, members of our faculty, and guests that are passionate about hospitality. We have a focus for each episode, but the discussion is as wide-ranging as our industry and just as welcoming. This week, Michael Diamond is our guest, and we have a varied conversation that touches on personal well-being and, of course, the focus is on a robust discussion of the LGBT issues surrounding Pride Month. Michael currently resides in Bluffton, South Carolina. However, he was a staple member of the HMG Plus bartending team. He has had an impactful career on hospitality, rescuing animals, being a prolific baker, and has a self-described witness to the gay rights movement. As we learn in the conversation, a witness can also be a powerful actor. His role at the Cubbyhole Bar and within the LGBTQ community touched many lives, and the love he inspired has returned to him, as you will later hear. Please enjoy my discussion with the lovely, indelible, and wry Michael Diamond. So, you know what's funny? You mentioned that I actually did the Whole30 diet, and was very surprised i felt pretty damn good like uh lost 15 pounds and uh changed my diet threw out all the sugar like candy got rid of it yeah changed my life honestly yeah the trick is to keep it off i think with any diet if you're able to maintain and it you know it just has to be easy enough to to do then people can do it yes yeah, I, I I think I'm totally in that boat. I used to, I don't know about you, but I, I worked out like in football and sports and stuff in high school. And that was all like, you know, you felt like you were some, they gave you that soldier mentality and it was like, you got to work out, you know, that's not maintained. I can't do that because it's like, I'm not at war all the time. You know what I mean? So the workout that I do now is like cardio kind of like, I'll do like a little bit of that and, and the diet part it's whatever's in the fridge, but I just don't buy stuff that doesn't screw up the diet, I guess, you know? I, I'm the only way I was able to lose any weight is just to increase my activity. Okay. So my, I've never had a bad diet. I don't think I've always eaten pretty well. And I even, even with the baking, I'm more of a put my finger in the batter person <laughs> than to eat the cupcakes that are made. I like to give them away or sell them. So, um, so I've just never had a bad diet, but I just never really exercised either. So as I got older, the gut came, <laughs> came out because the metabolism changed and I wasn't exercising. Now I just, now my work is, is exercise. And I was able to just lose weight that way. Hell yeah. That's kind of a good way to kind of maybe kick it off a little bit. I figure I'd just ask you a few questions about what's, uh, What's going on? We can we can actually talk about this first, though. Let's talk about what you do. I mean, you for a long time, I guess you worked with us at HMG and uh, worked at Cubbyhole, but and we'll get into that. But uh, what are you doing these days? What are you up to? Well, I'm back to bartending. I bartend at a at a um, speakeasy style bar in uh, Bluffton, South Carolina, and 
most people have never heard of Bluffton. It's a small town just outside of Hilton Head. Basically, it's between Hilton Head Island and Savannah, Georgia. Um, Bluffton's claim to fame is it was the last town uh, Sherman uh, burned. <laughs> oh, wow. He left Savannah alone. He Savannah. He wrote President Lincoln a note saying, "I give you Savannah," and basically saying it untouched, unburned, unspoiled. Very beautiful. It's still a very beautiful town because he did burn it. <laughs> But he, he left uh, nothing in Bluffton, so that Bluffton was the last of the towns he destroyed. Um, and that's about all that's there. Uh, Bluffton also was, I guess there was a, a someone that signed a Declaration of Independence. <laughs> that's oh, about wow. it. Um, but it's a nice little town, and, uh, and it's a great little bar. Um, very good food. Service is terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's, it's the post-COVID situation that everyone is understaffed. Um, and many of us in this industry have found other work or other or have found a way to get themselves back into school and other circumstances and are not, you know, not coming back into the industry. So, um, so that's why there's bad service, but it's a great, I'm so happy to be back to uh, uh, prohibition style cocktails and, and uh, putting thoughts into the drinks and the recipes and, um, it's a, it's a nice return after one year. Um, and I'm full-time gardening. Um, and I was going to ask about that, definitely. So my, my career change will eventually be full-on farming. But in the meantime, I'm staying at Shangri-La. I have a beach house. And I'm all by myself, uh, basically in charge of this house to maintain it and to create the gardens for them and they're coming along they're very beautiful but it's a it's a lot of work and it's a completely different ecosystem than I'm familiar with uh, but now that I've been here eight months I've gotten to know it pretty well and everything's just kind of coming together it's just beautiful and it's and uh, it's my brother's house and he's been talking about selling it the last couple of days and it's just breaking my heart because I put so much time and love in these gardens. Oh, no. So I told him, I was like, you know, what you need to do is tell him this house is for sale, but it comes with a live-in garden, gardener. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the deal. So oh, we'll see. Oh, it's funny so because it's, it is the beach house, but I, I barely go to the beach. I'm not, and let, until, I'm only just starting to go back because the ocean is now just warm enough to go and swim in it. And I love swimming in the ocean, but I never cared for the beach all that much, but I spent all my time in the garden. That's awesome. I also am someone that when I, I, I think I go to the beach, I mean, it might be just living in New York City, which is where I am. And it's, you know, kind of a production to go to the beach in a way. If I lived on the beach, maybe, maybe it'd be a little easier. But even then, it's still like, I'm, I'm okay. I don't have to go to the beach, you know? Um, yeah, well, that that's really awesome to hear that I, I was very interested in that uh, you when when I connected with you last it was like you were just kind of transitioning from the city to the south and kind of getting your bearings and stuff and yeah I'm excited to talk to you in like another year or two years or three years when when the gardening thing is continuing to, to blossom <laughs> <Ba -dum> -bum. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to check in again 
and also, yeah, prohibition cocktails. And I feel like there was a, there maybe is another podcast out there that covered this, but you know, even though the bars were closed, come on, there was something happening, especially in New York, I'm sure, you know, um, but, but we'll hear about that probably in a, 10 years. So this month is June, beautiful June, but it's also Pride Month, which is really excellent. And I was hoping I could talk to someone who is, you know, worked at the cubbyhole, is connected to this community and uh, has maybe a story or two to share. Um, so if you want to talk a little bit about what Pride means to you, how you're connected to it, maybe the cubbyhole's role, I feel like they're uh, what do you, they're like a pillar, I almost feel like, of, uh, of that community and also of pride, so. Yeah, I mean, well, you don't, we don't have hours uh, to go over it. Um, but I mean, actually, it is kind of coincidence. I, I just had to change because I was in the garden. And the, the shirt I'm wearing is the first gay pride was a riot. Uh, you can see that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and... It was. It's interesting. Now that I've been gone a year, I've been reflecting on my life in New York City and and how I ended up. I mean, I ended up at the cubbyhole by accident and I didn't know what it was. I was completely unfamiliar with its its culture or history. When I first met the cubbyhole, I was living. I lived in the neighborhood and I would walk by it with the dogs and think that it was a nursery school. That was like a a daycare. I mean, and I guess, you know, in some terms, all bars are daycare, but they were, I, it had a little flowers on the mirrors and stuff. And I was just like, Oh, what a cute name for a nursery school. And then um, one day I looked in the window, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's a bar. It must be. So I, and it wasn't open because it was earlier in the morning. And I, I remember thinking at that point, I was like, Oh, then it must be like a bear bar, you know, for like hairy gay men. And it wasn't until I got in a fight with a neighbor, with a neighbor where I, I said, I need to go to the nearest gay bar. So my roommate took me to the cubby hole. And I saw on, on the wall, they, they had a bumper sticker that said, we love dogs. And I was like, well, this is perfect. This, this is my new place. Um, and I met the owner, maybe my second night there. And she was this old lady in the corner telling stupid jokes, real bad jokes. <laughs> just you know and you know everyone's laughing because she's the owner and they were they were being nice um but I had my dog with me and I told her that I was unemployed and that I was volunteering with uh social teas animal rescue um uh, by fostering their dogs and helping them write grants mm -hmm. and she just you know she erupted to like so excited because uh, she knew the owner of social teas and she donates to them every month and all that. So she said, you need to work for me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but I don't know how to bartend. I don't know. This is just a bar. She was like, oh, you'll just sit outside and check IDs. So I checked IDs for her for a year and a half. And then she sent me to bartending school, which is a, a massive waste of money. I don't recommend it for anyone. <laughs> it's just the stupidest thing in the world. That's right. uh, you learn on the job. And, and that's it. So I learned a few recipes, but then she, she got me bartending on Sundays and I learned because the bartenders taught me, Carla taught me, uh, and Gita. And then, uh, and then eventually I was there forever. 
<laughs> more or less. Um, and, but through Cubby, you know, I've met some of the most important people in the gay community, um, the people of Stonewall, people who, you know, the owner of Stonewall is now I consider a good friend, uh, Stacy Lentz, but, um, but also people who were at the actual riots, uh, people who were part of the original, the impetus of what the gay community has now and the freedoms that uh, we are enjoying and the, and the fact that we're, there's many freedoms we don't have still, but are capable of fighting for them that would not have happened had Judy Garland not died when she died and had the, you know, a, you know, a, a snowball of events occur in 1969 to lead to the rebellion at Stonewall and, and so on and so forth. And I've gotten to know many of these people and, uh, and I didn't think that I was really a part of their lives until after I left New York and I have found myself being reached out to by them, which I think is interesting because I never, I don't know. I just, maybe I'm just humble or something, but um, I got myself into the COVID. I got sick, very sick. And, and I was in the hospital and, uh, and these, many of these people reached out to me, which I never thought they would. They were the last people in the world I would have thought would be uh, concerned about me. So it was an interesting thing of like that, so much I've witnessed in New York City, just being part of the Cubby Hole community, I always just thought of myself as the witness, not as someone involved in them, but, but others see me apparently as someone involved. So it's interesting. And then, and the owner at the Cubby Hole, she fired name? me, I don't know, like five or six times. Her name was Tanya Saunders. She was, she created the Cubby. She's, the before it was Cubby, it was called DT's Fat Cat. And it was so D was for Debbie and T was for Tanya. And they created this little lesbian bar. Um, and Debbie left Tanya. And so they were like, well, we can't call it DT's Fat Cat anymore. So the owner of the original Cubby Hole, which was on, uh, was where Henry had a, Henrietta Hudson's is now. I don't know if you've ever been into Henrietta's. They don't really welcome men, but <laughs> but it's two rooms. And one room is very tiny. And then the other room is bigger, but still small. And so the, the room on the right is like a, like a two-story room. And that's kind of where the main club is. That used to be a grocery store. And right next to it is an itty-bitty tiny little bar with a pool table in it. And that was the original cubbyhole. And if you watch like VH1 before they were stars and sort of stuff, you'll see people like Sandra Bull, not Sandra Bull, Sandra Bernhard and Madonna. They'll talk about the cubby hole. And that's what they're talking about. They're not talking about the one at that where I worked. They're talking about the one at Henrietta Hudson's. Um, well, anyways, the owner of the original cubby hole, name was Elaine. She and Tanya and Debbie, they were all friends and they were sitting around Casa Dupree, which is across the street. Uh, which is, uh, yeah, it's across the street. They would, they were just talking one day. We're like, well, what are we going to do? Debbie's left DT's fat cat, fat cat. What are we going to do? Elaine was like, well, I don't know. I don't, I'm not keeping the cubby hole. Why don't you just call DT's fat cat cubby hole? 
and that's it. So that she she just gave her the name, the reputation. Oh wow! Um, so she had this wonderful bar with a wonderful name, and Tanya made it her own. She put all this crap on the ceiling, <laughs> and she came up with her rules about how this is not going to be a lesbian bar. This is strictly an everybody bar. Everybody is welcome. And I think she really just kind of embraced the symbolism of the rainbow flag, which is all inclusive. The purpose of the, the, the colors is supposed to mean that anybody who associates themselves as different or, or ostracized from the community, whether they're gay, lesbian, transsexual, I mean, just anything, any label they want to give themselves or any uh, way they want to classify themselves, they're all included within the colors of the rainbow. That's the idea behind it. Um, um, and that was the idea behind the cubbyhole. So that's how it became came to be. Right. I have a question. Um, you said that it's not a lesbian bar, that it's an everyone bar, and that there are these rules. Do you have any other information? Because that's really interesting to me. I don't I don't know why, but every time I read about the cubbyhole, that's one of the first things like whether it's New York Mag or Gothamist or something. Because like, people, you know. others, so she, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Fire Island, but if you go to Fire Island, there are two gay sections, the Pines and the Grove. And the Grove is very similar to the cubbyhole in that sense. Grove is for everybody, but the women tend to flock to the Grove more than they go to the Pines. So the Grove has become associated as the lesbian section. It's not the lesbian section. It just happens to be where women go. And the same goes for the cubby hole. Lesbian women are comfortable at the cubby because they're not going to be judged or whatever. It's that's their space. And it's lesbian owned. And that makes sense that they would go there. But gay bars tend to be gay bars. And, they're dead, and, they're, and then lesbians tend to have lesbian bars. And Tanya's vision for it was to not be exclusive, but to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. So it's so others will always associate as a lesbian bar because it's just what others do, but it's not what the vision of the bar is. So it's just, and it's just because that's where women go. There are, there's a big problem right now where there are no lesbian bars left in the country. When I moved to New York city, there were eight. Now there are two and that's including the cubby hole, which is, I mean, it's crazy. And it's a lot of it is women, uh, once they once they get hooked up, they're, you know, that's it. We don't need to go out anymore. You know, mm-hmm. whereas gay men, they'll go out no matter what. There could be a hurricane and they're still going out <laughs> and that they'll sustain their bars. And I think Tanya knew that, too. She was like, yes, we need to be inclusive. But she might have realized some dollars and cents there. Like, yeah. we cannot rely solely on the women to keep ourselves afloat. We have to include everybody. And it's just a fun, more friendly bar. So she, in that way, but, uh, but she could have had uh, dollars and cents working in the back of her head thinking, right, you know, right. this, is, this is how we're going to do it. No, um, I think you're right about it being more of like the, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think that symbolism of like the flag, including everyone, you know what I mean? Like it's, it just seems like the right thing to do. And also to tie it into hospitality, right? You don't get to pick who's walking through your doors, you know, necessarily. You could say you are this or that kind of place, but truthfully, everyone, you know, you want them to feel welcome or at least you want them to have a good time. Well, right. So it is an interesting thing, too, about hospitality. And I what I like about um, 
catering is in this this gig society that we're in now because everybody has to have two or three jobs you know to pay rent and live a life mm-hmm. um, the gig uh, society that we're in now is understood it's like it's I think that 10 years ago people would look down on catering a little bit and they don't anymore because they because of the need to keep to do so many jobs and there's like there's with the all black uniform the, the plain uniform there's an anonymity to it and uh and it's i i think it's kind of what drew me to it was that um i you know i didn't really i was stubborn with hmg and i was like i'm not gonna do anything <laughs> with you unless i'm bartending that's my skill set and that's you know that's it i'm not going to do anything else i was stubborn but or proud maybe it's the better term mm-hmm. but um but I also was drawn to the anonymity of it. It just, this is my work. And no, I just didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I was, it was a, a, a notch down from what I had been doing. It was a component of what I continued to do. And I did also didn't feel that way about the clientele. I didn't think that they were looking at me in a certain way. Whereas 10 years prior, I probably would have felt that way. And I think that they would have too, but in this gig society, because it's, and it's what it is. It's, it's we, we refer to the shifts as gigs and catering, but uh, lots of different uh, companies not involving catering will also refer to their work as gigs, where as 10 years ago, you wouldn't, that term wasn't common. You would only hear gig with, you know, music acts, right, <laughs> you know, right. that was, yeah. I, I, um, I like that. I miss the catering. I, I kind of would like to do it down here. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine there's places down there. Maybe maybe HMG will expand down there, and we can right. Have, <laughs> we, can, we can get you some gigs. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned uh, that. I my experience working with you was was really uh, what formed what I think of as. I mean, I wouldn't say that we're best friends or anything, but I I respect you a lot because. Uh, and I feel comfortable reaching out to you for things like today, you know, talking and stuff, because I value your opinion, because I, I, I think that when I worked with you, you were one of the only people I worked with that, you know, forget captains, you know, we had uh, Jeffrey, I think was our captain the day I worked with you. And it was this event where it was like these bars, and it was a little stressful and, and stuff. But like, you just were like, how do you make this everybody who's bartending you I know and you were like asking questions and you were getting people kind of like in in the mentality that that we're going to be doing something here you know like we're going to we're going to do this job you know and it was just a very can do but just very knowledgeable and uh direct way of 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 getting what you need from the people around you so i really value that um so enough blowing smoke. No, <laughs> but I, I got to ask. Um, so, so your experience outside of Cubbyhole during Pride, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you ever, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm a I'm a big straight white dude from Iowa. I'm boring. You know what I mean? Like I've not had an experience where it was bad. It was always good. I just walk in the parades. I support my friends, you know, and uh wherever they fall under that flag, I, I absolutely am trying to be an ally, but I don't have like, you know, I, I don't have experience. 
Right. Well, I have mixed feelings about gay pride in New York City. It's always been fun, but I don't think it should be fun. Um, the parade is more of a spectacle and more it's a parade and it shouldn't be. It should be a march and it should be a third the size that it is hmm. because it's it's not a, it shouldn't be. You want to have a gay parade? Great. Have it any other day. <laughs> have it on Saturday, <laughs> you know, but. It's on the last Sunday of June every year because the Stonewall riots began on the last Sunday of June in 1969. It was the night of Judy Garland's funeral, not her death, but her funeral. And people were, you know, gathering at the Stonewall Inn like they always did. And they got raided like they always did. And that was enough was enough. The shit hit the fan and the drag queens weren't having it. And, and uh, the rest is history. But the, very following year, there were, there were marches to, and it continued and, you know, to this day. And we have a lot to fight for uh, and it should be a march. Mm-hmm. I've always kind of felt that way. Um, and when I, I went to college in North Carolina and we had a gay pride in Asheville, which was the town I was in, and it was a march. And there were more mm-hmm. protesters than there were participants. And there were, I mean, it's just... It's the Bible Belt. There's a lot, and it, this was 1998. <laughs> you know, things have changed. Asheville's even more liberal than it was then. Um, and I imagine if they had a gay pride in Asheville, it would be less protesters. Maybe it'd be 50 50. Um, but uh, so we've definitely, there, a lot has improved uh, for our lives. But there's so much to fight for, and even even not in this country, but other countries. And our marches should re- reflect that more. Um, and then you get to the bars, and the party is just non-ending, non-ending. And it is important to sub- celebrate. I agree with that. But I do kind of think it should be on Saturday. Sunday should be the day of the march, you know, or whatever. Pick okay. a day. Okay. So I definitely have mixed feelings about it. Uh, when I when I was for ten. 12 years in, in New York City, I would, my way of participating for the march is I would get in line with whatever group I was most associated with. Often it was the Staten Island AIDS Task Force because I had worked with them for a while um, as an HIV educator. And I had a big red wagon, like a radio flyer, and I filled it up with ice water and I was dispensing water with dog bowls to all the dogs that were on the sidelines because they were all passed out in their parents' arms. <laughs> and, you know, I had my own dogs. Lifesaver. And, uh, and that was kind of like my mission, my way to contribute. And also just, you know, I'm not good with crowds or I'm, I'm socially awkward. So that was kind of my way to get through the whole march. And then when I started working at the cubby hole, I continued to do that. But then I'd come and work at the cubby hole when it opened around noon. And I was there all night, and you know, with all the debauchery. <laughs> and I always have, it's, it's the day I love the most at Cubby, honestly. That and Halloween, it's just so much fun seeing so many people from, you know, new people and old people. You know, everybody's here together. There's so much love. Um, even when I got arrested, it was love. <laughs> you got, got arrested? arrested? It was a very quick arrest. They un- unarrested arrest. me. It wasn't, they, they, or it was, I don't know if you would call it an arrest, but they put me in the squad car and then they, then I, I was able to get out uh, because somebody from the cubby hole called, but basically 
they one year when at the cubby you know it's and honestly all the gay bars in the west village they are allowed to just give plastic cups out to people they so they can go into the bar get your drink and then stand outside and finish it and um and and they just the new york city police they just allow it because it's you know what you're gonna arrest the entire city you know what i mean <laughs> so they just kind of allow it um and one year you know there was a officer that just was fed up with us i don't know <laughs> i don't know what it was and he was like are you the manager and i lied and they said yes because really there wasn't a manager there's just a bunch of bartenders you know <laughs> it was a bunch yeah. of you know i was i wasn't even bartending i was cleaning up trash outside and he put me in the back of the car and i was like oh my gosh i cannot believe i'm going to jail <laughs> for this taking but, one for the team literally yes yeah but i didn't he ended up letting me out i don't know i think another officer made it clear to him that he was overstepping but but that you know that's the excitement of the place yeah. And Cubby Holy is, is probably the smallest bar in the city, but everybody goes there. Uh, every, I mean, I don't know if you've seen my Facebook post of the celebrities I've met, but it's just a litany of people that just somehow show up at this bar that is in the middle of the West Village. Yes, but really in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing else around it. And somehow they find it. I think they came to see you. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I heard about you from a friend from a friend. I just really appreciate you taking the time because uh, that distinction you made, which I think is really important, especially considering the past year and things as we as we get closer to issues, we start to understand the actual gravitas or the, the weight of them as opposed to, you know, we see and you can speak to this a little bit too, if you want uh, the corporate side of things where they come in and they throw a rainbow flag on everything they do or, you know, they, they don't down here. Oh, really? So the, I, I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, I wonder if like the TD Bank is going to have a big rainbow flag out front because they were huge in the West Village. It's all about the, knowing their market. I mean, yes. in New York City, people are like, yay, that's so amazing. <laughs> Look at all these companies are putting out their flags for us. Right. I don't see a single, there's not one restaurant or bank or anybody that has a rainbow flag out right now wow. during June. So, um, so that's interesting. And Hilton Head's very liberal. Bluffton's very liberal. Everybody, everybody knows I'm gay. I've got, uh, I, I take my bike and put the dogs in the back of the bike. And I, we go everywhere. And it is about as rainbowed out as it could possibly be. And everybody knows and nobody cares. Wow. Nobody cares. There's no issue whatsoever. It is a non-issue for them. They don't want to talk about it necessarily, but, you it know, I haven't encountered any kind of, um, negativity uh really associated with that um but, so it's interesting because you would think then in turn they would they would put out a flag or whatever and i have had people say hey happy gay pride you know people are actually pretty nice about it but i haven't seen a single business including td bank who loves i don't know why i keep mentioning td but it, but it is i guess it's because i live next door to them <laughs> when i was uh. in the west village yeah, I uh, saw them all the time. And they're a national bank. They're they're a national company that they're also down here and, and in New York. Uh, so it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you do you think that that's something, you know, in the future that, well, see, this is the thing I've been struggling with um, is, you know, how how do we get people 
that maybe you know are like-minded right like you said they they're like you know you know gay pride yay but how do you get them then to like you need to have that conversation because the as you mentioned uh, kind of at the top of our conversation it's not over right and also as you said with the marches versus a parade it's like this isn't like we we don't have all the rights right you know we we're not at the level we, we don't win at some point you know it's right it's like so got to keep going so i'm just wondering if you have any idea i have no idea <laughs> yeah. no i do think you, i mean all of us have to to you can't just be an ally. you can't just say you're an ally you have if you hear something you're someone saying something you have to step up and say look that's not not okay or 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 on the flip end encourage those who do say something great you know, not everything, not every reaction needs to be negative. You know, mm-hmm. when you see something you really like, tell them, you know, uh, be encouraging. Um, and we all have to do that for each other. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, I'm still learning what it's like down here, but um, I, it's, I guess it's the, it's the culture here that they just, they don't want to talk politics. Whereas in New York, we talk politics it's not as bad as dc but it's still (laughs) it's still quite a lot of it so that's part of it is that nobody wants to know each other's politics down here Mm -hmm. uh and that's i don't know i don't know if it's good or bad yeah well thank god they have you with the bike with the dogs decked (laughs) out flags they're like look we have michael we why do i need to fly a flag maybe that's their thought (laughs) um Awesome. Uh, do you have any questions for me or any? No, I don't know. No. Um, That's okay. No. <laughs> I, don't, I just, not a big deal. I just, uh, I don't want to eat up too much of your time. That's all right. It's so hot. I can only, you can only work in the mornings and then, and then the evenings. What is it down there? Like probably 90, 80? Well, no, it's actually hotter in New York today. It's 90 in New York. 80 yeah. something here but the muggy level is just intense next level it's it's truly hell on earth down here <laughs> it's it's muggier here i think than anywhere else in the country oh. here savannah and atlanta are just off new orleans it's got nothing on us it is it's intense um nothing in florida is like this it's just it's real it's it's intense. I just went to Miami for the first time uh, in April and that place, it was so hard for me not to just keep thinking that it's kind of New York ish. Like there's an element of New York there that they kind of just like more saw, neon. Yeah. I just saw a lot of people wearing like Brooklyn shirts and, you know, like images of Manhattan and stuff on everything. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but, but it was the, the humidity. Here's the thing with the humidity for me. I don't like to feel wet when I'm not sweating. Right? <laughs> yeah. like, I would feel this kind of like everything was sticking to me and oh, couldn't do it. I was well, like, Miami doesn't have a bad humidity problem. Uh, most of the year, you must've been in a, just a bad stick of it, or maybe that's the month that's bad in a, Miami where it's constant here uh, because Miami has a nice breeze too. It doesn't uh, supposedly it's not never that, terribly hot there i don't know what the statistic is but i remember reading about it that miami is at a lower not as hot as as the rest of florida because of 
its position on the water. It does everything there passes really quick. Weather-wise, it was like pouring squall, rain, sun next hour. You know, it was right. It was intense. I, I remember not liking the beach much in, in South Beach because the, the sand was too heavy. It was has this weird granular heaviness to it. And hmm. uh, the beach I have here is incredible. It's a soft, powdery sand. It's and you can when the water is warm enough, you can just be in the water all day because it's it's like a tub there's a <laughs> sandbar that goes out uh, about 200 yards so you can go be 200 yards into the ocean and still only be at chest level and then oh, it wow. suddenly drops and that's where all the animals feed and it's just phenomenal you can be standing at chest level and know that just a foot away from you it's deep and there's the dolphins will swim right up to you you can be in arm's length of dolphins or eating jellyfish, whatever's in front of you. And it's just the most amazing, amazing thing. I remember doing it. I've Some of my earliest memories of kids doing this here, just being so close to the sea life. Oh, man. So it's hard to complain, uh, <laughs> really. And I'm only about 20 minutes from where I make money at the bar. So you're set up. And you're in a good spot. It's nice. I, it's not going to last, but I'm enjoying it while I do. It'll, it, by the end of August, the, I, the intention is that we'll, be, we'll have our farm, my brother and I, and I'll be farming. That sounds but good. In the, you know, it's, it's interesting because for a full year, I was without work. You know, I moved down here pretty much to avoid the COVID. And uh I lost my job in New York City, March 13th, 2020, because that's when everyone did. Cuomo yeah. said, no, no work. And, uh, and on March 13th, 2021, it was my first day on my job at uh, bartending at, at Cohoon's in Bluffton. And it was a serendipitous coincidence. It was a total coincidence that it worked out that way because I was actually supposed to start earlier but the day after I was hired at Calhoun's, I got COVID. <laughs> and then I was, Brutal. you know, I had it for 12 Brutal. days and then I was in the hospital for 12 more days. Um, and then two days after I got out of the hospital, I started working at, uh, <laughs> at, at the bar. Nobody's going to keep slow. you down. I was slow, but um, they understood. They knew. <laughs> uh, they were nice about it. Did you have but any also, lasting effects from uh, COVID? I still have pneumonia from it. Um, it's not terrible. I only have to take this inhaler a couple times a day now, as opposed to every time I lifted a keg. Oh. I don't have that, <laughs> that issue anymore, which is nice. Uh, but, but the humidity doesn't help. Like You feel it, you know, but I still not needing the inhaler. It's pretty much when I wake up and like mid, midway through the day, I'll be like, okay, I need it, need it. Um, but that's good. I mean, I, I'm not allowed to get my shot yet, the vaccine. Oh, really? Uh, because they don't want they don't want me to take a vaccine until the pneumonia is totally gone. Mm. And there's, it's debatable about how good your my immunity is against against COVID. You know, so they're like, well, you're probably protected. Oh my <laughs> <So>. god. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So like we're how far into this and they still are kind of like, well, uh, we're pretty sure you're fine, but we don't know. 
Well, I, honestly, I think it's impressive. They know as much as they do know. I think it's impressive how fast we, that we got the vaccine. Like, like that's like, it's great. <laughs> I'm really happy. Science is working. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and as well as it does. So, I mean, look how long we've known about cancer and how little we can do for it. That's true. You know, it's a long time to learn this type of stuff. So it's all right. I feel honestly, I feel invincible. I feel like <laughs> I I'm stronger against the disease than people on a vaccine uh, are. That's my, I'm, I'm going with that theory. Your body got over it that. on its own. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, uh, how are the dogs? They're loving it. Oh, they're, they're good. They love the beach. They love the sun. Oh. Uh, and they, they're so spoiled really now because my, my dad is worse than I am about pitying dogs. So <laughs> when I'm at work, I drop the dogs off at my, my dad's house and he takes care of them. So they're just totally spoiled. That's amazing. Um, and that, honestly, that was the best thing about coming down here is ever since I've lived in New York and lived on a bartender salary, I've never had the money to come visit my family down here. I would visit them three, you know, once or twice every three, four years, mm-hmm. you know, and I might see my parents twice a year because they would come up to New York. You know, now I see them twice a day. And that's amazing. I mean, it's just the most amazing thing. I never thought I'd want to see them twice a day, (laughs) but I do. I mean, it's, I love seeing them. I love, I love seeing them. So that's honestly been the best thing about being down here. uh, I miss my family too. And I totally, I relate a lot to that um, bartender salary. Like, I mean, I, I have to pay rent. I live in New York. This is just, you know what I mean? And the, at some point it's been 14 months and you haven't seen your mom, you know, or right. your dad or talk. And to bars are not sympathetic to you wanting to take nope. a two week vacation. <laughs> They're like, no, you can't miss your shifts. Um, yep. So I almost never did. Yeah. Uh, even, even at the cubby hole, which is very familial, you know, it was very hard to be like, I, and even, even if they were okay with it to be, to miss your Friday, I was like, that's my whole rent. <laughs> you know, yeah. to, I can't just, you guys want me to come down July 4th? Are you crazy? I can't come down <laughs> when one of the biggest nights of the year. I can't come down June 30th. That's not happening. Exactly. So now I'm here. But actually, Cubbyhole just called me yesterday and asked me to come back to work Gay Pride because they're understaffed. By the way, yeah, if you want to do a bartending gig, wow. Call I, I'll I'll speak up for you. It may not be bartending. It may be staffing in general like crowd control outside that sort of thing but they need the help uh and i'm not going to be able to go there okay i mean i'm going to write it down and follow up yes no seriously i will i'll just tell i'll tell danny who was my roommate and he he's the one that reached out to me cool um if you want to do it it'll be a a very hot long day yeah but but i'll be doing service you know i'll be helping yeah Maybe I'll get um, yeah, too. I mean, I don't know exactly what you'll be doing because of, I don't know, you know, what they're doing with seating and all of that, but because yeah. everything's changed with COVID, but yeah, we'll see. He's reaching out, trying to find people to, to work. Yeah. It feels, I don't know if you felt this. I mean, even, even given everything we've talked about, it's like 
didn't it feel like when pride started something felt of relief you know and then people it just i felt relieved anyways because people started talking about love and they started talking about you know all these different things that that no one had really been talking about everyone had been very concerned about these very serious issues or whatever and there are so many serious things to, to concern yourself with regarding pride as you mentioned but there is also a lot of joy and a lot of love and just openly talking about those things. We don't do it enough. Right. You know, it's right. Like, so as a society, I, I think you know. the whole pride love is love. Those slogans came out after the marriage, gay marriage became some more of a reality. And then now it's a complete reality because the Supreme court agreed to it. Um, and all of that happened later. I remember when I first moved to New York and we were just hearing inklings of, oh yeah, this Lom the Legal group, they're really pushing for gay marriage. They think it's going to happen. And I remember thinking and telling and being very vocal about it. Why are we fighting for gay marriage? We have so many more important steps that need to lead up to it. You guys are jumping by leaps and bounds to get gay marriage when really <laughs> we need to be working on, you know, just domestic partnership you know we need yeah. to be working on smaller steps and i was really vocal about it and i was clearly wrong um but and i was working at a place you know in staten island for as an hiv educator and i just i just thought they were just totally wrong but i was wrong because now just just as a witness just as a witness like i was saying before like i, I didn't really feel like i was part of this group but I would guess I was, and, and but as a witness watching and seeing how people are saying, how everyone is, has embraced this love is love mentality and, and there's so much more joy surrounding gay pride and how big it's become. I watched it, you know, grow so much larger. Uh, I mean, I just, even my first year at the Cubbyhole in 2001, uh, gay pride was, so much smaller than it is now and how it just stretches to the streets Wild. stretches to 8th avenue and and uh and greenwich avenue i mean it's just it's ginormous and that i think is directly related to the gay marriage movement i think it it just it all kind of came together uh this sense of equality and pride proud to be who we are and on all of that it all kind of amassed you know yeah. Yeah. It's wacky. Uh, yeah. And I, I think it's it's really healthy for the rest of the country. I always, you know, I've I, I love the I don't even know it's a human rights campaign or human rights watch the equality, the two the equal sign. Yeah, that's I love HRC. Yeah, I that's love campaign. I love it. I am, you know, that's that's one of those things that I donate money to and stuff. So I hope that it doesn't come out later that it's like funding something terrible, but you know, no, they are somewhat controversial, but they're not. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's okay. They're not funding child labor and Guam. Right. Yeah, that's what uh, I was gonna say. Oh, and yeah, other that's, thing you... that's the human human rights watch is a different organization, also very noble, uh, and they've been around a little longer. But they're uh, they're okay too. Right. I had a I had a wealthy aunt who gave them the biggest gift they'd ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> when she died i don't remember what it was but it was on the news it was like human rights just like quadrupled their budget or whatever it was oh my gosh they're good they're but they're all about torture and that sort of stuff 
Okay. That's what they do. They're kind of like Amnesty International. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to speak one. Well, we'll wrap up here. I, I got to let you go. Otherwise, we'll talk all day. Like you said, how many hours do I have? Uh, I still got to type all this up and everything. But um, one, one last thing you mentioned, uh, how you said you were kind of from a different perspective before the, the gay marriage movement kind of, you know, just overtook and we, you know, saw that become reality. Um, but I wanted to say that I, you, you were doing work, you were boots on the ground, doing the work in the community, informing people, you know, lifting people up with the power that they have in their lives at that moment, right? They, so I understand your perspective and I want to say I really respect it. And I think that we need more of that action, you know, because a lot of folks might walk out the door and support gay marriage, but they have no idea how to help the gay community. Right. You know, and so in that way, you were in this, the best way, making what you could a reality for the people on the ground, like making their lives materially better just by doing the work you could. And if you would have sat around just like blasting social media or saying you support this thing, it would no one would have been helped. You know what I mean? So I really respect that. And I want to say that 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 kind of work to me, even if you might not be supporting this bigger, loftier goal, that's the work that we need to get done on a variety of issues. But specifically, I think, concerning equality and equity for the gay community and the LGBTQIA plus community. Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that what the point of service is? whether you're a social worker or a bartender, <laughs> you know, it's to help people feel happier in their own lives and give them a reprieve, even if it's just for an hour, totally. give them to a place, a, a sense of community where they're not being judged, whether you're at, you know, fanciest restaurant in the city or, or a hole in the wall, you know, it's, it's about, you know, making sure people are enjoying themselves and feel good about themselves getting Absolutely. great service you know or you're in a lawyer's office <laughs> yeah. you know yep. uh, doing doing hmg type stuff yeah it's about giving people a a, a moment of peace yep. from whatever they're thinking about oh man i think that's a really good spot to to end it thank you so much michael for taking time to talk to me and and that's my pleasure thanks for calling me I know you're an important person to a lot of people. And I think just talking to you today, that that was pretty clear why, so. Thank you, that's nice, thank you. We want to thank you for listening to the May I Podcast, brought to you by the Academy for Hospitality Arts. We are a service for the service industry, bringing you conversations with professors from the Academy, industry experts, and guests to discuss all things hospitality. We hope you'll join us by subscribing to the May I Podcast wherever you find your podcasts and visit the AHA at ahaexcellence.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media and we hope that you will join us. Until next week, when we ask once again, may I?